This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's new book, No Fail Communication. Discover how to end workplace confusion and achieve better results with your communication. Learn more at lead2.win slash communication. Hey guys, Michael Hyatt here. Last week on Lead to Win, we aired a special episode that was a conversation about race. And based on your responses, I know that this was an important episode for you. And I want you to know that I'm committed to furthering this conversation around the question, what does this moment, this historical moment, require of me as a leader? Well, as I mentioned, I'm taking some time to read, to learn, and just reflect on this issue. And I encourage you to do the same. So for this week, we're back to our previously scheduled lineup, but rest assured that we're going to pick up the conversation again soon. Thanks. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Today, we're going to share the results of our latest after action review here at Michael Hyatt and Company. What are we reviewing? The global pandemic of 2020. This is probably the uh, biggest after-action re- review that we have ever done. Don't you think, think so. Dad? <laughs> I think that's right. Probably times about 100x. Um, but can we all just admit that this crisis put us all into just a little bit of a tailspin, right? Um, we, we are coming out of such a strong economy leading up to this crisis, and many industries were booming like never before. I mean, it seemed like it was just going to be blue skies forever, and then pow, a lot of businesses got totally upended by this pandemic, plus the economic fallout, which in many ways was even worse or is even worse. And I think that left a lot of really confident people shaken. You know, certainly there, as we've talked about, are many opportunities in this situation and all of that. But I mean, if this didn't shake your confidence at some level, you know, you're probably not really breathing. Um, But we're asking, as we kind of look back on this, what just happened? And what if it happens again? You know, certainly the likelihood that we'll repeat this exact situation is, you know, at least in our lifetime, probably unlikely, but there's always some crisis that could come. And so that we don't want to waste these lessons, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, these are, uh, a, these are, this has been a great opportunity for gleaning wisdom and lessons that we can apply later. So that's really what we want to talk about today. Just for the record, I thought the Great Recession was like a hundred year flood. You right. Know, I'd never seen anything like that again. Bam, here we are. And this is probably not the last after-action review we're going to do. This is more like a mid-action review, but still, I think it's worth it, worth it to take stock. But today, we want to give you guys a little calm, a little confidence, and we've distilled some early lessons from this crisis. And if you could learn these, you could be better prepared for the next big thing, whatever that turns out to be, whether it's local to your business or it's something broader that's happening in the economy. But before we progress further, let's bring on Larry. Larry, you there? I am here. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, We're doing Larry. great. You know, we talk a lot about the After Action Review here at Michael Hyatt & Company. And in fact, it's built right into the Full Focus Planner, something that we encourage people to do every single week on their own productivity and on their company. I guess I never thought of applying this at such a big level. I mean, is there some... Some limit to wh- where this works? Could you do it after action review on the last century? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, you can take any event or any period of time you want, but it's more imperative the bigger the stakes are. 
So there's this, this famous quote by George Santayana that I love, and it says, quote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, end quote. So just imagine how the world might be different if world leaders had learned the lessons from World War One. Maybe we wouldn't have had a World War II. If we'd learned the lessons from World War II, maybe we wouldn't have had all the skirmishes and all the you know different police actions that we've had throughout the world since that time. But personally, I find that my greatest lessons come from the greatest life events. The higher the stakes, the more you can learn. Yep. And, you know, in this case, we're dealing with our business, not world affairs. Like you said, Larry, there's a lot of things that have not been going well out in the world. And we're not going to do an after action review on this entire crisis. But we are going to talk about kind of what we've learned as we think about our business and really what we've been able to control and what we can't, because that's really the only kind of fruitful thing for us to focus on anyway. You know, what how the government did and, you know, what they're going to do in the future and all that. We really don't have that much control over. So it's much better to apply our energies internally on the things that we have direct control over. Um, Some of the same principles of the after action review apply here. For example, we want to look at what happened. We also want to ask what worked and what didn't, and then decide what are we going to keep, improve, start, or stop in our business as a result of this. And as you're listening to this and you're thinking about, you know, your own business or maybe a division that you're leading or just, you know, the work that you're doing in the company where you're serving, I think all these questions are really relevant to you um, because certainly this has been like kind of a pressure cooker in ways that few things are. And hopefully you have some lessons of your own that you can add to what we're about to share with you. Absolutely. Well, you can't predict the future, but you can prepare for it. And in the wake of this crisis, we want to move from reactive to proactive. And yes, you can be better prepared for the next crisis by applying the lessons from this one. I found that my having gone through the Great Recession was phenomenal preparation for this one. Every crisis is a little bit different, but the lessons you learn do help you prepare. So we want you guys to feel relief and confidence because you're doing all you can to put your business and yourself in a strong position. Well, today we're saying you can be better prepared for the next crisis, whatever that may turn out to be, by learning the lessons from the current one. And we've got four lessons to share with you. The first one is this, maintain strong cash reserves. Yeah, there's a reason this is number one, right, Meg? Yeah. I mean, nothing is more important than cash in a crisis because you may not get it all figured out the first time around. You may stumble out of the gate, but if you've got enough cash, you've got enough air to breathe that you can you know, continue to pivot, continue to uh, be resilient and continue to fight off whatever you're, you're dealing with. So you always want to deal with any problem from a position of strength. So in some ways, the best crisis preparation is to create a strong business. And obviously, you can still be blindsided. I mean, we had no idea which businesses were going to profit from this crisis and which ones would be totally capsized by this crisis. But if you've got to run a marathon, it's easier when you're well-rested. And if you're going into a crisis, it's easier to navigate from financial strength. Now, granted, there are a lot of other aspects to business health, but cash is one, perhaps the most critical. Well, 
I absolutely. I mean, I think the problem is if you don't have cash, you don't get to find out what the other aspects are of critical business health, you know, because like you said, you just kind of run out of oxygen. I think the thing about cash that's so important is that it gives you options. It really enables you to have a buffer for decision making and it literally buys you time. This is important because when you're in a crisis, the biggest temptation is just to be reactive, you know, to um, kind of make decisions that, uh, Sometimes in a crisis, you have to make decisions because you may not have the cash reserves you need that are kind of not strategic. You know, you would never make those decisions outside of uh, in more ordinary times. And as a result, they cost you a lot later. You know, you kind of have to clean up the mess after it's over. When you have the cash reserves you need, you're able to kind of step back a little bit and to really make strategic decisions that are also prudent in the short term. Well, I think, you know, the, the key word here is options. I mean, if you've got to launch a new product, you got the capital to do it. And we had to do that in the first week of the crisis. We had to pivot, ask ourselves the questions, what are our customers, what do our customers need and what can we create that would really help them? And we did that. We did that through our leading through crisis course, but that required some capital investment to, to pull that off. If you have to refit your facility, think of gyms and restaurants and all that has to be done there just to open back up. Well, then if you've got enough cash, you've got the means to do so. So if you need to change your marketing strategy, you know, that's something else. If you've got the cash, you can do that. Well, Michael, you mentioned launching a new product, which we did right away early on. But uh, over the last two months, how else did uh, having some cash reserves really wind up helping Michael Hyatt and company? Well, one of the things it did was it enabled us to avoid making layoffs right away. And in fact, we haven't up until this point. We don't envision that we will but there are a lot of companies, probably a lot of you listening, that have been affected by furloughs or layoffs. No shame there. You know, I and mean, then this caught everybody kind of unprepared. But thankfully, we had enough cash reserves that that was really never uh, an issue for us. We were also able to pivot on the delivery of our signature coaching program. So that typically is something that we deliver in person here in Franklin, Tennessee, where we reside. But we couldn't do that with COVID-19. So we had to pivot and create a, a virtual experience, which we did. So we were also able to launch, as I mentioned a moment ago, a new product, a video course. We did that in a week, which is crazy to think about it. But if it hadn't been for our reserves, I'm not confident we could have made made it through. Maybe we would have survived, but it probably would have forced us to make some decisions that, that uh, we would otherwise not want to make. I mean, I really, really value our team. And the last thing I wanted to do was to do layoffs. And that's something... We had to do when I was uh, leading Thomas Nelson in the Great Recession, and it was so unbelievably painful that I was just glad we were in a position not to have to do that this time around. Another thing that the cash reserves helped us to do was to have time to kind of plan for various scenarios. So while we were also able to, you know, delay decisions or not have to do certain things, because we had the time, we were able to run various scenarios, make really good decisions about what was going to be needed, you know, we had some products that were doing better than others, better than they would have even in normal times. We had other things that were impacted by the crisis, at least initially. And being able to run various scenarios helped us know where to put our attention, where to put our time. And one of the things that we always prioritize at Michael Hyde and Company is cash flow planning or cash flow forecasting. And that enables you to see problems that are coming down the road instead of all of a sudden your cash balance is low in your bank account. You know, you can see those problems coming and make decisions in advance. And I would say as a part of, of this point right here, 
really careful cash flow uh, forecasting is critical to the cash flow management part of, of going through any crisis. Well, that all sounds great, but saving money on a personal level is really hard to do. And I'm sure it is hard in a business too, because you've got a, a lot of demands and a lot of opportunities. If we found ourselves flat-footed as listeners uh, on the cash side, how could we get ourselves in a better position moving forward? I think you have to develop a discipline around saving for a rainy day. So certainly uh, some of our listeners have read the book, Profit First, and I would say saving second. You know, not eating all your seed corn, as it were, but setting some aside for, you know, a time when you're going to need it. So, you know, that's just something that that you may not be able to do immediately, but with a little intention, you might be able to do it. Certainly, it's something that when I've tried to do various savings plans, in fact, Megan, you and I were talking about this the other day with regard to my personal savings plan. And several years ago, when my financial advisor said, I really want you to set aside X amount for investing, I said to him, I said, there's just no way. And he said, yeah, there's, there's a way. He said, I think you could do this. And he said, just, just test it. Try it as an experiment. Well, I haven't looked back. I mean, that was like six years ago. And I thought it was impossible, but it's amazing how you adapt. Mm -hmm. And if you don't ever really take that money into the business and use it for other cash flow items, but you set it aside, then it, it becomes much easier. And again, you can start small and then build up. Yeah, I think we want to be working toward like a three to six month uh, reserve of your expenses. You know, just imagine if you didn't have the benefit of that going through this crisis, imagine what that would have been like, you know, not waiting for that PPP funding, though certainly that was nice to have, I'm sure. But just to know that you were already in a position to kind of be your own PPP funding. You know, I think that's really what we want to see here. Just kind of like in your personal life. I mean, this is just conventional wisdom uh, in, in people's personal lives, but you've got to resist the temptation to get overextended. I think when the economy is booming and it feels like there's never going to be an end to it and you just sort of see all your results going up and to the right indefinitely, you can tell yourself that debt's not really a big deal, you know, that it's it's just fine. It's not a problem. But if you imagine, you know, your revenue constricting, all of a sudden, too much uh, debt is likely to sink your boat. I mean, I think those of us who had little to no debt when we entered this crisis found, felt like that was an even better decision than we realized it was at the beginning as we went through this because it was just one less thing to worry about. You know, it was one more opportunity to just be lean and uh, focus on investing where there was a big ROI. So um, I think maintaining a safe debt ratio is really important uh, where your total debt to assets are point four or less. You know, that's important for you to um, just be thinking of because if this gets wonky, you can get in trouble fast, just like your personal life. I mean, I think all of us at one point in our kind of progression with our personal finances have had the experience of having too much debt and the, the stakes are even higher in your business. Well, this is why generally I agree with Dave Ramsey's advice. You know, the ideal uh, debt ratio is 0.0, right? right. Have no <laughs> debt because it looks like you can service it when times are good but you get into trouble and it becomes very difficult. And those represent expenditures that you've already made. I mean, you're not even getting any value. The value you got out of that debt was sometime in the past. So lesson number one from the current crisis, especially looking back on the early days, maintain strong cash reserves. 
Let's move to lesson number two, which is communicate proactively. Well, I think we all know that communication is always important. But if you're a leader in any capacity, when you enter a crisis, it becomes your top job, right? I mean, Larry, you and I were talking about this the other day that I feel like I've spent more time uh, kind of creating communications in the last two months than I have you know, for years before that. I mean, it's just really been the most important thing. And the reason for that is because uncertainty is kind of in the air that we're breathing, you know, all the things that you normally don't even have to communicate about because they're just fixed, you know, nobody even thinks about it are suddenly up in the air. And when people feel that kind of uncertainty, they become fearful. And when they become fearful, anything can happen, it becomes really difficult to keep people aligned, it becomes really difficult to drive execution. um, Because focus is hard, you know, when you're fearful, it's tough to be focused. So it's really the job of the leader um, to just get used to communicating a lot to step into that space and lead. And mostly that looks like being at the front and sharing what we're doing and why it's happening and where we go from here and just keeping everybody together moving in the same direction. That's right. And one of the effects of a crisis is that it makes people very leader-centric. So generally your communications are going to be decentralized. You know, the CEO doesn't hold every team meeting or employee town hall. Certainly I don't uh, during regular times, but other people are empowered to make decisions and communicate them. But all that changes in a crisis. Everybody's eyes turn to the leader. So communication and staying in communication with people is not something you can delegate, at least not initially. People want to know what's happening and they want to hear from you. And I want to say too, it's not just the words you're saying. People pick up on your demeanor, your attitude, whether you're calm whether you're confident or whether your hair's on fire. And they're going to pick up their cues from you and just getting that sort of that reassurance from your presence, giving them a calm, clear information. Sometimes it's even, you know, when you don't have information, just having you show up and say that is reassuring. Well, interestingly, guys, there's some research on this. And even when not in a crisis, 84% of employees think their organizations don't do enough to create transparency. So I've got to imagine that's got to be in the high 90s during a crisis. Another study showed that organizations that are more transparent have higher productivity, innovation, and retention than those that don't. Well, I think it's easy to see why. Because in the absence of transparency and an abundance of information, people spend a lot of unproductive time trying to figure out what is going on you know, creating a narrative, projecting worst case scenarios, imagining the worst possible situation. So when you provide information and when you do so in a calm, confident manner, it helps people relax and stay focused on the stuff that really does matter instead of being distracted by rumors and gossip and all the stuff that doesn't help anybody. I think sometimes, Dad, the reason that happens is because leaders misunderstand or underestimate the urgency of communication. You know, if, if you're the leader, you already know the answers to all the questions. So it can be easy to underestimate the anxiety that other people feel in the absence of those uh, answers. And what happens in a crisis is people have all these immediate questions, right? Most importantly, am I going to have a job? You know, what does this mean for me? What does this crisis mean for me? And if leaders don't start communicating right away, then those 
those narratives start forming and then they start joining with other narratives and you get that whole rumor thing happening. And suddenly, you know, you hear there's a rumor about all these layoffs or something like that, you know, or shutting down product lines. So even if you don't have all the answers, and sometimes that's the case, I mean, this was a really fast moving crisis that as leaders, we were trying to digest in real time, just like our people were, you still have to step up and communicate immediately with your people so that there's not kind of this vacuum of information. You know, you want to step into that space. In our case, we announced our transition to work from home the day after that um, address that the president made on March 11th that was just kind of like the real turning point in that crisis when we all knew like this is really, really serious. After that, we gave regular updates to our team. We were meeting um, at least once a week initially. You know, our first few announcements were in writing because at, at that early point, this is kind of like at the end of February, that early point, it didn't seem that serious, but very quickly, it seemed very serious. And we were intentional about doing those. Um, they weren't face-to-face uh, in person, but they were face-to-face over Zoom. Um, because like you said earlier, the nonverbals are really important. So again, I kind of said this a moment ago, but the leader's got to be empathetic. He's got to understand what the people you know, on the front lines, the people that are you know, working different jobs are feeling. It's got to be transparent and you have to be hopeful. And that's where that Stockdale paradox can be particularly helpful. We've talked about that before, so I won't repeat it here. But the idea is that the one, on the one hand, you've got to be brutally honest with the current reality that you're facing. But on the other hand, hopeful that you're going to make it through this and your company's going to make it through it. So when people are nervous, they're looking for a voice to trust. And they want to hear from someone who understands and feels their pain. And I can remember back in the 1990s, you know, President Clinton had that famous kind of cliche line that really worked. I feel your pain. <laughs> and people want to know that you feel their pain. They want someone who tells the truth, no sugarcoating. They want solutions or the hope of solutions, not doomsday. And it's a really fine line to balance, but you must walk that fine line. Well, a few points just to make this really practical for you as you're thinking about the next crisis you may be in or the next uh, situation where you need to think really intentionally about your communications Say what you know. Say what you don't know. This is not a time to um, kind of BS your way through it. I mean, I think people really need you to be direct. Um, say what you're doing. You know, how are you reacting? How are you solving this problem that you're facing now? Um, say what you're not doing. For example, we said we're not laying anybody off and you don't need to worry about it right now. You know, and we kept saying that week after week for people because we knew that was the number one question on their mind. This is not the place to have any kind of we words or waffling or spinning. Um, you just have to be simple and direct and unambiguous in your communication for it to resonate with people because those are the things that enable your team or you know those externally to trust you. If it feels like you're just kind of trying to cover yourself or hide something, immediately people will sense that and they'll sniff it out. So this is one of those times when there's very little tolerance for anything but simple and direct communication. So that's lesson number two for leading your business through crisis, communicate proactively. Lesson number three, protect your well-being and that of your team. So at the beginning of the crisis, we went immediately into action. We felt like we needed to pivot. We wanted to create a course. We felt like the thing that we had to offer was how to lead through a crisis. So, I mean, it was all hands on deck. You know, we were working 12 hours a day. We worked through a couple of weekends, and we got that course out, and we got it launched. 
But it wasn't, didn't take too long before we realized that we were in a marathon, not a sprint. And burnout was going to be a huge risk. And it can happen quickly with all the emotion, with all the uncertainty, with all the just general anxiety that's in the air. People are having to live with greater pressure and greater anxiety than probably most of them have known in their adult life. So so self-care has got to be a big, big priority. Yeah, I think that this is another thing that's easy to underestimate, you know, and frankly, it's something that we are still working through trying to kind of find the right balance, because unlike um, a lot of of crises that might be internal or in your industry or something, this is very holistic, right? I mean, people's entire lives are affected by this crisis at the time when we're recording this. You know, we have states are starting to open up. People are feeling really weary of being stuck at home, stuck at home with their kids. Uh, Maybe they're feeling Uh, the kind of weariness of fear, all that stuff. And that impacts work. And so the capacity emotionally and psychologically that your team has when they're going through a crisis like this um, is diminished and therefore diminishes their work capacity in your business or your organization. And so we realized that early on and said, okay, we're going to shorten our workday. We've talked about that before. You know, we're at this time, we're working a nine to three workday, the majority of the company. Um, But that's challenging. You know, it's not been perfect for sure, as we've tried to kind of navigate that while you're also trying to pivot and do things under tight timelines and all that. So um, I think the the takeaway and the lesson here is just that you've got to make self-care a priority and you've got to really think about your team from a holistic point of view. Um, and, you know, if you don't kind of play the long game around this and you only play the short game of trying to survive financially or, or trying to hit your financial goals, what will happen is your team's going to burn out and they're not going to be there on the other side of the crisis. Maybe their body's there, you know, but their spirit may just be so burnt out that they don't really have anything significant to contribute anymore. So I think the challenge for for us as leaders is to kind of win the short game and the long game simultaneously. And that's, uh, you know, easier said than done. Can either of you talk about how your own self-care practices had to be altered or to step up or step back a little bit during the crisis? What changed for you in terms of taking care of yourself over the last eight weeks? Well, I think for me, sleep has always been my biggest self-care practice. You know, I think if you get enough rest, a lot of other problems take care of themselves. But before the crisis, I was regularly exercising, you know, five days a week. You know, I loved that part of my day going to the gym and using that as an opportunity to listen to podcasts and whatever. But I, I, I hate to admit it, but literally until last week, I was totally out of sync on my exercise. I was doing it, but it was hit or miss because I didn't have the the same kind of props that I did previously. I didn't have a gym to go to, you know, so I was trying to walk, trying to do some, you know, workouts at at home, which my trainer had given me. But for whatever reason, I was having a difficult time mustering, you know, the motivation to do it. But now I'm back in the rhythm. And I'm real, really glad I am. But I, I, I think you, you can't be surprised if when you move sort of the structural parts of your life around, that things are going to change. And it may, may be a while for you to get kind of your groove back, and that's okay. But, but I do think protecting that morning ritual as much as you can is critical. Because in a crisis, your company needs and demands really that, that best version. 
Yeah, I think it was similar for me. I think sleep has been something that always feels important to me, but occasionally I'll cheat it, you know. And interestingly, in the first couple weeks, I found it very hard to sleep. I was consuming the news kind of like all throughout the day. It was just, you know, sort of felt like a free fall in terms of what was happening. So that was really hard. But I about the third week, I really found my equilibrium again on that and and sleep just became my absolute top priority. You know, I've got to get in bed on time. And for me, that's where that battle gets won or lost is getting to bed on time. The other thing that uh, Joel and I ended up doing was walking every day in our neighborhood, you know, about four o'clock after we kind of finished up work and got the kids, you know, settled or whatever, we would go on a walk as a family. And that was so great just to get outside, breathe fresh air, move. I mean, not very complicated, you know, certainly wasn't like a gym workout routine, but we actually ended up, uh, we actually ended up walking way more steps each day than we normally would because frankly we didn't really have anything else to do and it was very restorative and I think just that you know what we what we now know about some of the research is that moving is so helpful for processing trauma and anxiety that when we get our body engaged that we sort of diffuse those emotions and that's a big takeaway for me in the future instead of just kind of letting those things totally fall by the wayside giving my body time to rebuild at night and then also just having a, a physical outlet for the emotions that we were all experiencing was very helpful. So lesson number three, protect your well-being and that of your team. That will bring us to our fourth and final lesson for this program. Lesson number four, act aggressively but thoughtfully. This is another one of those things that it's challenging to try to find the balance. Because in a crisis, you often have to act quickly. So here's a rule of thumb. Crisis accelerates decision-making, and time is often your enemy, not your friend. Crisis may cause you to do things now that you might have done later. And sometimes that's a good thing, frankly, because I think one of the things that we see in a crisis is that it helps us to get decisions to decisions that we probably should have made before, but because we had the luxury of time, because maybe we had the luxury of additional margin, we are able to postpone those things. But sometimes the acceleration is good. I mean, maybe you launch a product that might have sat in development. That's good. Or you kill a product that can't really pull its weight. Or you make staffing changes that you probably should have made long before now. So acting quickly can be the difference between winning and losing. So one example is that restaurants who thrived were those who could immediately pivot to curbside. And there were some restaurants that were better prepared to do that than others, for sure. That's really true. You also need to be aggressive in pursuing opportunities because crisis certainly creates new possibilities. Think about like video conferencing, video content, product delivery, products like masks, you know, new product creation. Another general rule is get there first with the most, you know, so you want to seize opportunities and you may have to act quickly to do that. In fact, you probably will have to act quickly to do that because the window can close as quickly as it opens. However, your action also has to be thoughtful. And dad, this is kind of like what you were saying at the beginning. This is where the balance comes in. And um, it's not really a, pr- a precise science. You're just going to have to kind of feel your way through this. But you don't want to react based on fear or panic. 
And that's a temptation always. You know, for example, you could um, cut too many people on your staff. You know, you could make a decision that you thought, gosh, I think our revenue is going to contract and I better just cut 50% of my staff. And then it only contracts 10 or 20% and you're, and you're way understaffed. Well, now you've created a way bigger problem to solve than the one that was naturally going to occur anyway. So that's an example of how you've got to be thoughtful. You want to really consider the long-term implications of any choice and ask yourself, how does this line up with our company vision? Because even the decisions that you make during a crisis should still be in alignment with your vision. You don't want to compromise your vision. How about your strategy? You know, is it different than your original strategy? Or at least are these decisions strategic? In other words, you would make them because they help you get to your vision, even if by a different route than you would have otherwise gone. You know, what you don't want to make, if you can help it, are kind of tactical decisions that ultimately compromise your vision. Then you have to do a whole lot of work to get kind of back on the path to your vision when it's over or compromise your vision in a way that's kind of beyond repair. Um, but you can easily get pulled into a strategy that you just don't want to be in long term. So I think our goal is to come out of this crisis with our business in better shape than we went in, even if there are certainly innovations and changes that got made that we wouldn't have made otherwise. That's fine. But hopefully we're still moving toward our vision, not away from it. It probably goes without saying, but you should also delay unnecessary decisions so you can't get, you know, so caught up in everything that you keep making all the same old decisions about the things that frankly right now aren't a priority, or at least if you, if you were to make those decisions could jeopardize your future. So for example, back in February, we kind of decided we were going to push the pause button and just not hire the new staff that we had built into our plan for this year. It's like 10 or 12 people we were interviewing. We said, Hey, we're just going to pause that and see where we're at. Then eventually we got to the point where we said, you know what, let's not hire any new people for 2020 because, you know, it's just, it's just foggy. We don't have clarity about what's going to happen. And the last thing we want to do is have, you know, more people that we're responsible for because we take our, our teammates' livelihoods very seriously. And now we're revisiting that again. But the point is delay unnecessary decisions. You can decide later when you have more clarity. A lot of decisions don't have to be made right now. So today we've learned that every leader can prepare for the next crisis by learning the lessons from this one. And those include these four. Number one, maintain strong cash reserves. Number two, communicate proactively. Number three, protect your well-being and that of your team. And number four, act aggressively but thoughtfully. So what final thoughts do you have for us today? Well, Larry, I think it'll be interesting for all of us to continue to do these after action reviews and glean the lessons from this crisis, because certainly it's not over yet and its effects are not over yet. And the biggest thing that I think of as I reflect on what we've already learned is that, you know, these lessons are hard won. Um, we have all been kind of up to our elbows in this crisis, really um, working hard to find the best way forward for ourselves, for our teams, for the people that we serve. And those lessons should not be wasted. You know, we do not want to forget what we're learning now. Um, you know, Dad, when I think about what you went through in the 2008-2009 financial crisis, 
It's the lessons that you learned in that crisis that are enabling us now at Michael Hyatt and Company to successfully navigate the crisis that we're in today. And I think that's going to be true for whatever comes next in the future. So um, it's worth digging in and gleaning these lessons because we're going to need them later. You know, the thing that I've been struck by with this crisis is how much these always give us a chance to kind of stress test our character and give us the opportunity to grow. So I think most of life, the older I get, most of life is is not about what you accomplish or how you survive this or survive that, but it's really about what you're becoming. And the great thing about a pressure-filled stress test like this is you kind of find out, you know, where you still got some work to do and where you need to polish not only your business, but your own character. So don't waste this crisis, either for your business or for yourself. Use it as an opportunity to improve. Well, thank you both, not only for these lessons, but for your great leadership by example uh, over the past couple of months. And here's hoping we never have to put these lessons to the test. (laughs) Thanks, Larry. Thank you, Megan. And thank you guys for joining us today. We'll see you right here next week. But until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's new book, No Fail Communication. Discover how to end workplace confusion and achieve better results with your communication. Learn more at lead2.win communication.